Coming up this week, off screen. Christopher Nolan takes us to Dunkirk. We tour the city of ghosts. Francois Clouzet becomes a scribe. Captain Underpants takes flight. We head to Monster Island. Mandy Moore is 47 metres down. Kamel Nanjiani faces the big sick. The Hounds of Love get to some kidnapping. There are holes to be poked in cardboard gangsters. And we take cover behind the wall. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is Off Screen. Off Screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen, the on screen radio show. Welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. Of the musical duo Felix Culper, of course. We never give you credit for that. I've never asked for it. Well, I believe in giving credits where it's due. Oh, thank so. you. Yeah, we, we play all the hits. All the hits? Every song. Every we, song. We play every song ever written. It's a long set. It really is. Yeah, uh, our sets are usually uh, 14 weeks long, <laughs> and we get paid in sandwiches. Well, 14 weeks long. There are three toilet breaks. <laughs> yeah. so, and there were no survivors. <laughs> it's just Wally and music. That's what it is. Yep. <laughs> right, so before we get to the news, before we get to the reviews, before we get to the box office top five, and we've got a packed show because we're off next week. So we're doing next week's reviews in the podcast extras this week, which yeah. is good, because both are quite thin weeks and give us just enough to fill either way. Uh, so would you want to give me someone to kick us off then, Mr. Owen? What have you got for me? Yes, so Disney hold an annual event called D23. Not DisneyCon. DisneyCon not seems... Dis- I don't know why it's not called DisneyCon, and I still don't know why it's D23. And I always say to myself <laughs> every year, I need to find out why it is, and then I get attracted by, like, Frasier or... Yeah, well, D23 Sunshine. is the name of the Mighty Duck sequel we all really want to see. He should have got up to... By, by have, this yeah. point... At this point, yeah. we should be on our 23rd iteration C- Come on, Estevez. Yeah. But what's, what's his name? Gordon Bombay? Gordon Bombay, man. The I tell you, Joshua Jackson's not doing anything. Come the on. The man named after uh, two gins. Exactly. Gordon Bombay. There was a rumour years ago, incidentally, that we were going to get a Mighty Ducks reboot in which Josh, uh, the now adult Joshua Jackson found himself in the same scenario as Emilio Estevez and had to become the coach. That'd be great. You get... Imagine that. You get Keenan Thompson back. Yeah. He plays his best friend. Marguerite Moreau. Oh, come uh, on. This writes itself. This does. Come on. This is way better than talking about D23. Yeah, I mean, all the live-action Disney reboots we're getting over the yeah. next couple of years, they can't give us like one measly three or four million dollar budgeted Mighty exactly. Ducks reboot I mean come on this sells it's, think of the merchandise Estevez will probably direct it as well oh he would now bag. yeah, yeah. it would be gritty and intense <laughs> oh, I'm not the blood on the ice that's what you call it D23 blood on the ice oh man <laughs> Anyway, the actual, the actual D23 is where Disney unveil all their upcoming projects for the next couple of years. So, talking about their uh, live-action uh, films we've been making out of the animated classics. So, Lion talking King, Marvel. Aladdin, Marvel. Well, let's let's just stick with Aladdin. Because okay. for a while, they've been trying to find an Aladdin and a Jasmine. We were talking about this last week. They had to delay a month, didn't they? Because they hadn't got anyone. Yeah, it was supposed to be shooting this month. Hmm. Uh, now, they've actually settled on somebody to play Aladdin. It's actually someone that was in the running anyway. Really? Yeah, there's a young okay. actor called uh, Mena Masood. Okay. I believe is... Is, is he a relative unknown? I heard that's what they wanted. Relative unknown, but he's going to be in a couple of shows coming up. He's in the uh, Jack Ryan 
Oh, show well, with okay, uh, John cool. Krasinski. So yeah, he's, he's got some projects. We'll see. Is, is that series ever coming? I'm still waiting for this John Krasinski Jack Ryan series. It's Amazon, I, isn't it? I, yeah, it is Amazon. I'm assuming it'll be the end of year, start of next year. I hope so. I need I more Jack Ryan in my life, and yeah. they're not going to give me Ben Affleck carrying that series on. And Chris, Chris <laughs> no. Pine was a misfire. So Harrison Ford, arguably too old. Arguably too old. Alec Baldwin, arguably now too awesome. Yeah, um, got got some news on uh, Alec Baldwin later. I think I know what it is, and I can't wait to talk about it with you. Cool. So. But yeah, uh, we've also got a Jasmine as well. Um, uh, Naomi Scott. The Pink Ranger. Yes. Ah. And she definitely looks apart. She looks great. She does. I can totally see her as as Jasmine. And we do have confirmation, but Will Smith will indeed be... Genie. Okay, I can I can believe that. Yeah. I mean, didn't I'm, Kevin I'm Hart turned it down. Kevin Hart turned it down, didn't he? Oh, did did we go for? I don't know if I was. I think I heard that they denied. had they'd offered it to Kevin Hart, and he had turned it down for scheduling reasons. Right, because I can't imagine Kevin Hart turning down for anything other than that, because the man is just so busy. Yeah. Well, and I mean, he, he is that busy, isn't it? It's like getting yeah. Dwayne Johnson. It's just unfeasible because... Yeah, he's he's not omnipresent yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Wait for him to be president, and then he will... When he's yeah. president, and he set, and he uh, sets out the committee for the duplication of Dwayne Johnson, um, in, oh, in which man. a Dwayne Johnson is put into every home that's, that's in the wins. world. Yeah. That's, that's it. <laughs> Literally becoming a household name. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I live on 23 Dwayne Street. Oh, I live in Dwayne Boulevard. (laughs) (laughs) So that is my news for D23, and let's have a review, and we'll come back and talk about D23 some more, because loads There isn't it? It, Like, let's focus on on that. Let's let's stick with news, and then podcast extras, we've got some other tasty morsels. That's it. So we'll do D23 through the radio, and we'll do everything else in the world. (laughs) Podcast extras. Yeah, like like the Felix Culpa. Like the Felix Culpa, yeah. Yeah, Exactly. We'll we'll get to uh, the the Felix Culpa hits uh, when we get to the podcast extras. So uh, let me start then with Dunkirk. Yeah, I am excited. And so excited. Rightly so. They've they've marketed this with a great deal of mystique, actually. It's all we know really is it's World War Two. It's Christopher Nolan. Yeah, they they literally just could have put that on the poster. That, not that's not kind of it. the title. It's a soldier staring into you know, into the, the carnage of mm. of war and from director Christopher Nolan over the top. Dunkirk. Right. The film itself <laughs> brace yourself for this. This follows uh, Operation Dynamo which is the operation to evacuate 400,000 British troops from the beaches at Dunkirk. Now, the film takes place from three viewpoints. It takes place on the land, in the air, and at sea. And with each of these different viewpoints comes a different uh, time calibre. I'm not sure I'm phrasing that right. But the way it works, then, is for the characters who are on the land, we see events over the course of a week. At sea, we see events over a day, and in the air, for an hour. Now, these are all intercut with one another. (laughs) And the film itself actually becomes, very quickly, about time. It's about the nature of time, and it's about survival in the face of an environment in which every second counts. It largely takes takes uh, a point of view from a relatively unnamed soldier who's played by Fionn Whitehead and uh, and some young, uh, I must admit, very good-looking upstart named Harold Fashions or something like that. And uh, <laughs> they're two grunts who are trying to get off of the beach. We tend to follow them more than the other characters. You also have uh, Killian Murphy, who gets who is a downed uh, a downed officer who gets picked up at sea by Mark Rylance, who's a civilian with his two boys, who's helping with the evacuation. Uh, because a big part of it is the call gets put out for any seaworthy vessels to come and help pick up and evacuate the soldiers. And that's what Kenneth Branagh's character on the beach, the... Uh, <laughs> K-Bray. the stiff upper lip British general that he is, uh, is waiting for and increasingly finding himself in the face of horror as a result. Um, we have a clip. Oh, 
core went out. We have to go to Dunkirk. Ready on the stern line. What are you doing? You know where we're going. Into war, George. I'll be useful, sir. One of ours. Right, so now that actually is a trailer clip. There's not really any actual clips out. And it turns out, for a very good reason, the trailer is edited more or less exactly like the film. This is... No no hyperbole here. This is actually a masterpiece. This is something that... You remember when Gravity was out? About three or four years ago when Gravity was out? I remember that. Did you, did you see it in IMAX at the time? I did. There? Right. Do you remember when that film was over and you felt like you hadn't actually watched a movie, you'd had an experience? You'd had this ride, as it were. Yeah, it, it definitely felt more like a ride than a film. Exactly. But that's not to say that I didn't love the experience. Oh, exactly. Now, now, Dunkirk has a very similar thing going for it, except Dunkirk happens to be an amazing work of cinema itself as well. But it does have that very much simulation kind of a feel. It doesn't quite reach the much-advertised level of, oh, it's virtual reality without the glasses. None of that silliness. It does feel like, for the most part, you are there, you are in the thick of it. There's no contrivance to it. There's no stopping and talking about, oh, I miss my girl back home. None of that nonsense. I don't know why I was doing that in American. I was saying, British this is soldiers. a very British, yeah. very endeavor, British film. Yeah. It has the class of an old-school Ealing picture, albeit with new school mechanics, new school build quality. IMAX cameras. IMAX cameras. Yeah. The R-Reflex cameras, is that what they're called, these ones? I think so, yeah. He, he loves an, an, he an does. IMAX camera, doesn't he? And funnily enough, there is a sequence in it in which you do sit and think, oh, good God, has Chris been strapping IMAX cameras to the front of Learjets again? <laughs> and you think, yes, he must have been because there's no other way he's gotten that shot in an IMAX frame rate. And... Um, that's the thing. You have to see this in IMAX. It, I imagine it's still fantastic on any screen, but on an IMAX, I saw this IMAX 70 mil. Wow, what an experience. Now, academically, you can make a serious case that this is Christopher Nolan's best film. My personal favourite will always be Inception, but I appreciate that I'm not being academic on that. The cast are great. Yes, there is a little verbal cameo for Michael Caine in there, so, you know, the Alan Franks of the world will be uh, happy that they can... Uh, I did wonder. Actually, has to, yeah. He's actually credited on the uh, on the credits. He's, he's given a, a thank you to Michael Caine. That's fine. So, yeah. Um, Harold Fashions, <laughs> actually a lot more enjoyable than you'd expect. Yeah, I've heard that. Theon Whitehead, um, I liked very much. I think he's got something of a young Eastwood quality about him. But you know who my MVP is? Kenneth Branagh. It's Cabray, man. Cabr- got to be Kenneth It Branagh. is. He's terrific. He does more with a single line of dialogue here than most actors do in an entire film. But, you know, the, the star of the whole show, though, is Christopher Nolan. And it's not just Christopher Nolan. It's his dream team. It's that Nolan dream team of Hoyt van Hoytema, who has now... I love him. He's kind of like usurped uh, Wally, hasn't he? Yeah, he, yeah. Since Wally first has gone off to make his own films, Hoyt van Hoytema is the new Nolan mainstay. I hope he's in the mainstay anyway now. Uh, you've got so, yeah. Hans Zimmer on the he's music. So yeah. yeah, Hans Zimmer on the score and Hans Zimmer if you can hear from the clip has actually built a ticking clock mechanism into the score for the entire movie when that clock stops that's the first time you breathe in the film now this is a short short Nolan film this is about an hour and 47 minutes yeah and the second b- shortest isn't it after following it's very true the reason it's shorter is because the whole film is this contrived essay about time and he's playing a trick on you by saying, this is my shortest film, but actually, you're just going to feel like you're watching one of my regular-length films. You are <laughs> going to be put through the ringer for this long, and it's going to feel like you sat through a standard three-hour film, but we're doing it an hour and three-quarters. It's terrific. It's 
really, really something. I, I, I can't speak highly enough of it. It is really amazing. So let's plug the uh, podcast issue real quick. Uh, go on to uh, TuneIn, iTunes, uh, Deezer. If you go to Acash, you get our digital bling. Uh, which, of course, gets all our you know, trailers and things like that on there, which is always fun to have. And you can skip right to the individual reviews through the artwork. And competitions. We've got some fun ones now, haven't we? Yeah. We've got, got some uh, stuff going on. The pop-up screens one is far and away our most popular competition in some time, which says alarmingly we have more London listeners than we expected. Um, we've also got uh, DVDs for uh, Neruda to give away. We've got DVDs for A Quiet Passion. We've got Red Dog, The Early Years. We never got to review the first Red Dog because it wasn't released theatrically here. But uh, I love a good dog true story. But yeah. except for Marley and me, which was just kind of slush. Was that a true story? I think uh, it's based on a real guy's story. Yeah. Based on an actual dog. Based on an actual dog, presumably named Marley. Yeah. And uh, we've also got DVDs of Wakefield to give away, which is the new Brian Cranston movie, which is going direct to DVD in this country, but looks amazing. It's it uh, him and Jennifer Garner, isn't it? Yeah, out of full uh, release in states, but just and not I, over here. I, I really want to see this. Yeah, well. I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, so yeah, so go on the competition section on screenfilm.com and uh, win some swag. There's goodies to be had for everyone. There is a veritable smorgasbord of treats of you know to suit all tastes. So go on, win some swag. And why are you there? Just download the podcast with the latest film news and reviews. This is off screen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, Mr. Allen, where to next? Let's go to Monster Island. I'd really rather not, but I suppose we but, have to. Uh, <laughs> I just said it, and you don't want to make me a liar. That's true, that's true. Okay, so, uh, Monster Island, which is an uh, animated film of relatively low calibre that has quite clearly been sort of translated into English and, and ported across, released in this country, uh, without, without really any fanfare at all, with no marketing campaign. The general gist is you have a young sort of pre-teen boy, young, t- young teenage boy, who one day at school, uh, has an outburst and turns. Oh, sorry, sorry, it's a house party. Sorry, it's a house party f- from school, and it's the popular girl's house. And uh, they pull a Carrie-style prank on him, where they instead of pouring pig's blood, they pour slime on him. And wouldn't you know it? It turns out that this inhaler that he has to he has to use every twenty four hours or whatever that his dad forces on him is actually a neutralizer that stops him from turning into a monster. And it turns out that this is the family curse. Here's a clip. What's going on? We're whole family. We're monsters. What? This is from our island, Calvera. Your grandma Carlotta and the others are still there. Your real mother was a monster, too. Let's go, then. Can you hear it from the funky rock music there, Case? Do you know what kind of terrain you're on when you hear that that very slick uh, direct-to-DVD Scooby-Doo sequel kind of rock music? Sounds like in Funky Town. Yeah, it does a bit, doesn't yeah. it? Uh, right, okay, this is really not particularly <laughs> good. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I didn't even look up the voice cast on this one because none of them were instantly recognisable. It's a film that's been put together, I think, as a sort of cheap attempt to appeal to the Hotel Transylvania crowd. But you know, whilst Hotel Transylvania relies on the gimmick of known, recognisable horror characters, you know, they all exist in the public domain, so you can use whichever ones. Um, what they've done here is just go for something a bit more generic. Mm. So, you know, there's a purple squid girl, and there's a, you know, and he's like, a, he's like, the, the the Will Arnett character from Monsters v Aliens, the Missing Link. What yeah, missing link. There's, and there's a short orange guy. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the problem is, none of it's particularly well thought out, none of it's ever particularly well fleshed out, it's inconsistent, it's contrived, it's predictable, and, yeah, you, you come away feeling, really, that was a waste... I mean, what did we say? Uh, uh, just in the Knights of Valor was what you, uh, you, yes. just, you compared it to earlier. Yeah. Very much. Very much just in the Knights of Valor, except that was a little bit more understandable as to why you'd make that film. Well, that had uh, Antonio Banderas. Yes, and that's the, that was the big casting propeller, yeah. wasn't it? Here, not so much. Uh, I mean, it's one of those films where, for instance, when the kid changes into a monster, he has a different voice. When the dad changes into a monster, he doesn't. Oh. And you think, okay, is there an explanation for that one? Because it just seems kind of weird and lazy. And yet somehow symptomatic of, of everything that's wrong with this film. It's not particularly entertaining. I think it's slightly too dull for uh, dull and unimaginative for you know, kids, kids below a certain age, say eight. And anyone above eight has seen more impressive things brought to life in cutscenes on an iPad game. So, yeah, I would avoid this one, to be honest. And if you really, really must see an animated film, you know, in the multiplex, uh, Despicable Me 3 is doing quite well, I believe. And uh, there's a new Cars movie. Yeah, so. Cars 3 as well. Cars Basically, if, if it's preferred in a, in a yeah. trilogy, you, an you've animated trilogy, you've got to see man. You've got three yeah. calls to see, man. Don't bother with Monster Island. I mean, if you must absolutely must do a Monster Island, James Gunn wrote a perfectly good one with Scooby-Doo. Yes, so, stay home and watch that. <laughs> stay home and watch that. I watch it regularly. I'm a very big fan. <laughs> like... That's my favourite name. <laughs> I love that movie. So, give me some news. What have you got time Right, let's stick with monsters. And uh, for a very sad reason, unfortunately. Uh, yes. So, over... Was it over the weekend? It was. It was. It was, yeah. uh, it was Sunday, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. Sunday morning, I think, is when we all find out. Uh, yeah. George uh, A. Romero passed away. Oh, man. Of course, Zombie Master. Zombie Master. This is yeah. the thing. He gets remembered <laughs> for zombie stuff, but he did so, so much many more, cool yeah. other ones. Did you yeah. ever see Bruiser? Martin. Oh, yeah, Martin, oh, yes. Bruiser, yeah. Um, oh, my, my personal favourite, Monkey Shines. Yeah, I never saw Monkey Shines. But I love Monkey yeah. it, it, it is a movie about a uh, paralysed man and his helper monkey, and the helper monkey is evil. Come on. Only George Lots Romero could have made that love. movie. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, he did Creepshow as well, didn't he? Yes. <clears throat> but yeah, yes. he was uh, 77. Oh, sorry, sorry. Did you ever have the pleasure of meeting him? Because he's the first director that everyone meets. He's always at conventions. No, uh, I've not met that many directors, actually. Well, that's the thing. Most, av- yeah. most average convention goes never really meet directors, but everyone seemed to make the effort no. whenever George Romero was there. Did you, did you ever meet him? I did. So how was he? He was everything you imagined and more. He was like Amazing. the friendliest uncle you ever wanted. <laughs> and... At a time when I didn't know that Land of the Dead was coming, he sold that movie to me like you wouldn't believe. I was so excited for the six months after to see that movie. I quite enjoyed Land of the Dead. I did, and I still yeah. love it now, and I want to rewatch it this week. Yeah, in in memory might. of yeah. George A. But uh, so, yeah, fare thee well, Maestro. It was, uh, it was a pleasure enjoying your works while I was last. Um, there were four more scripts, apparently, left to film. Really? Upon his passing, there were four George Romero scripts. Wonder who's going to take those up. I think this he was very just, prolific, wasn't he? He was. How many people can say they invented a genre? Uh, I mean, I've invented my own, but I don't like. Yeah, but Case about Rock it. is, is exactly the, the it is world, called Case Rock. The world isn't ready for yeah. Case Rock. Yet. So, of no. course, we didn't just lose George this week. No, we also lost uh, Martin Landau. Oh, he was an amazing actor. He really was. Wasn't he's he? incredible. He did win an Oscar, didn't he? Yeah, uh, for in, Ed Wood. Uh, for Ed Wood, played yeah. uh, uh, Bella Lugosi. Man, he was a good actor. Yeah, he, I mean, he went back to like the sixties and Mission Impossible and things like that, didn't he? Yeah, was he was he the lead in 
Mr. Possible Show. Was he no, I don't think agent? so, was he? Or he just was an agent. He was, de- he was definitely an agent. Yeah, definitely, definitely an agent. But I always remember him more for... He was in Entourage, wasn't he? He was in Entourage, <laughs> yes, he was. And uh, he was he was a great character in Entourage. Yeah. He uh, he tries to help them develop the Ramones biopic at one point in the series. Amazing. And uh, I remember, of course, he was, a, he was a key figure in the X-Files at one stage. Yes. He was uh, Kurtzweil, so named for the futurist Raymond Kurtzweil. Um, but, you know... Great actor, loved Martin Lennon. Space yeah. was it Space nineteen ninety nine? That was his mm. as well. That was that was his big series, I think, in the sixties and seventies. Yeah, it was so much good stuff. Oh man! But uh, now, fare thee well as well, Martin Landau. That's we've lost loads of great people really this great year ones. as well. Yeah. Like it's it's not just lost, not just two thousand sixteen. No, two thousand sixteen yeah. was just the beginning. It seems. But uh, <clears throat> please, everyone, form a protective circle around Clint Eastwood. But uh, there was a big rumor go around last week that he there was, wasn't there? Yeah. Yes, that was a, a, a really shaky twenty four hours as well. Mm. But uh, okay, so next review, let's talk about Scribe, which uh, this this stars our old boy Frankie Wardrobe, Francois Clouzet, <laughs> and uh, who most people this is the thing most people who who don't watch world cinema, who aren't really into foreign films, who don't watch subtitle films, etc., um, still probably recognise Francois Clouzet because he's the face on the poster for Intouchable or Untouchable or whatever yes. you want to call it uh, with Omar Sy, and Omar Sy obviously is now quite known in Hollywood. He started turning up in big Hollywood films, and he's in was it X Men Days. Future Past, yeah, Jurassic, Jurassic World, World. Uh, Inferno. Is in uh, yeah. well? he's, uh, he's your favorite film. My favorite film because yeah, yeah. now TV keeps showing me Inferno. And uh, right, so Francois Clouzet though he needs his time to shine, and now he's got this gleeful Hitchcockian thriller in which he gets to go full Cary Grant. So it's called Scribe, and the idea is, um, say it's a French film, so I'm not going to have a clip. The idea is you've got uh, a sort of nearing retirement age man, middle aged nearing retirement. Francois Cousset's character, obviously. Um, he's made redundant, he's looking for a job, and he takes a comically high-paying job with a shady businessman who basically issues him the decree that he is to go to an apartment every day at 10am, open the curtains, sit at a typewriter, not smoke, not answer the door, not draw attention to himself. All he is to do is sit there with a set of headphones on, play a dictaphone, and manually type into a typewriter a transcription of each of each tape each of which contains a wiretapped phone call relating to someone in a position of power. So it's someone that's running for president, it's someone that's threatening that presidency, etc. However, when the things he is starting to type about start to then turn up in the news, so certain people present a threat, for instance, then start what turning up dead, he then starts to look for a way out. His name's Duval, incidentally. I'm not sure if that's uh, meant to be some sort of reference to, you know, good old Robert, but... Uh, <clears throat> He starts to look for a way out, and of course, as much as he wants out of this shady criminal world in which he's been entangled, they just as much want to keep him in it. And it's it's yeah, it's what you expect from a concept like that. It's strangely timeless in because of the typewriter setting and the fact they don't really use mobile phones. It is in that way that phone booth was a concept that had been around for sixty years. Yeah, you know. Uh, phone booth script had been written in the 60s you could almost claim something similar with this you could almost you would believe if i told you this had been written in the 50s it would play just as well but there is that timeless quality to it and it does feel like one of those hitchcockian victory laps that he took towards the end of his career you know the little asides that we just don't really mention anymore yeah but, like that sean connery one forgotten yeah what it was called. i can't even remember that one that was, was it rope was that, no that wasn't rope no. was it I'm getting confused. Well, is that the mystery. Connery did the one that had the girl's name. Was it Rebecca or 
Uh, I'll find it out. We'll find, let, find it out. We'll find let it. IMDb do all our. Sure, IMDb's there for a reason. Put it to use. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is very Hitchcockian. You can predict it, but you know what? It's fun going while whilst it whilst it is. You know, it's it's a, a schlocky fun. You know, turn a minute thriller. It's twisty, turny. You know. It. Left field, uh, left field developments in all the right places. Yeah. What stuff? And also, I really like Francois Clouzet in it. I do. I like Clouzet I like anyway. Well, I, I like him in uh, the Intouchables. The Intouchables. He's very good in yeah. that, isn't he? Yeah, and casting Cranston in the remake. Easy. Yeah, easy pretty decision. great actually. Yeah. yeah. As we were saying off air, I don't think I would have cast Kevin Hart. No, I would have preferred someone like Tyrese, no. someone who's just got more. <laughs> That's our answer to everything. That, just for that character. But <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but as for this film, yes, there'll probably be an English language remake. No, it probably won't be anywhere near as good. And yes, you should probably see this if you can. Yeah. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen. The On Screen Radio Show. And we're back. You have an answer for me. What was it? It was Marnie. How the hell did I forget Marnie? How did I forget it as well. Wow. Okay. Well, we are the worst of people. We we are truly terrible. So on that note, since we're so god awful, should we try the box <laughs> office top five? Oh, okay. Your name's Baby. B A B Y Baby. Number five. Yeah, uh, Baby Driver. I don't. <laughs> I don't think I could uh, say anything more about it. It's no. Really great. It is great. It's slick. It's fun. It's energetic. It's. It's. Yeah, that's it. It's it. You'll love it. If you sat through any of the other Edgar Wright's film, Edgar Wright films, and thought this is so fast paced and fun, I love it. Well, you ain't seen nothing yet, really. This is his most amped up to date, really. And yeah. Go see it. Go see it now. Number four. Wow. Cars free. Wow, I know. So, Owen Wilson's back. There's an animated sequel. Did anyone really ask for this? Yes, the yes, marketing department. Money. Yeah, the marketing money. department and the accountants. And <laughs> I've heard it's all right, though. It's fine. It's, it's all right. It's fine. It's the best of the Cars movies. Yeah, I think we just said you just need to be better than the second one. Yeah. So, have less meta. I like it better than the first one, to be honest. Yeah, I, d- I don't mind the first one. I mean, the first one's big trump card was having uh, Paul Newman, and this has yeah. more Paul Newman. Yeah. So even though he's not around anymore, we, we have more Paul Newman. So it's got the thing that makes it work. And he's got Nathan Fillion in there. I mean... Yeah, as like a slimy agent. As a so. slimy business tycoon. Yeah, you know what? You sold me the minute you get Nathan Fillion in there. But if you you know if you know have kids and they are big Cars fans, this is a no-brainer. You're going to see this anyway. And I think you might actually enjoy it. Number three... Spider lad, that there spider lad, spider lad, spider lad. <laughs> uh, loved it, loved it. Can't can't say enough about how much I loved it. Um, I like that it does something different. That for me, that's the big takeaway with Homecoming is that it is something different. No origin story rehash. This no. is because this was getting to the stage of being like Superman, where we were sick of seeing Krypton destroyed. No naff villain. Yeah, no naff villain. You get a good one. Really good villain. Yeah. Sometimes you root for villain more than you do Spider-Man. Because, <laughs> <You kinda> <laughs> well, the villain's got a cool leather jacket, so... Yeah. It's a leather jacket, and, like, you can totally see where it's coming from. <laughs> kind of, yeah. yeah. And Actually, and that's something that this movie does that no Marvel movie has ever done, no MCU movie's ever done, which is, let's play the class card. Let's play the working yeah. man versus the elite card. Which and let's so make well. it sympathetic. And getting Michael Keaton to that, what an inspired choice. Yeah, because he's just, like, some... Buddy's cool dad. Exactly. And he's sort of a, a blue-collar schmo, really. That's the whole crux of it. Yeah. 
Anne. I love that. Here's Steve. <laughs> Steve. I love hi, it. Hi, Steve. Hi, Keith. Hi, Keith. <laughs> Sorry, what, if you didn't get that, watch Multiplicity and you'll thank us. If you've never seen Multiplicity, just watch it and you'll start yeah. licking pizza and calling everyone Steve. Um, right, so Tom Holland, though, amazing Spider-Man. I can't wait to see more of this character. I'm, the thing I'm looking mm. forward to in Infinity War more than anything now is the moment they reintroduce Spider-Man and we get the kind of music. I can't yes, they wait. They have uh, released some footage from Infinity War. And he does feature... Uh, yeah, there's something prominent I'm not going to say. No, but, no, no, indeed. Yeah. Mm. On which note? Number two. Yeah, it's that sequel. Stop bashing the microphone with your forehead. I didn't. I gently placed my <laughs> You gently wiped your brow on it. <laughs> against the microphone. You wiped your brow on it despair. at great speed and in rapid succession. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but, Despicable Me 3. Which is... Fine, I guess, but it's not a patch on the first one or even Minions. It's better than two, though. Have you making a Minions two? Has that been announced yet? Minions two is happening. I think that's like twenty twenty one or yeah. something. But Minions two was green like the mini- Minions one opened, course, and yeah. people didn't think it sucked. But uh, that's, that's its criteria. <laughs> did, it, <laughs> did it just not suck? Yeah. Did, did it suck? No sequel. <laughs> did it suck? Yeah reboot. You know, that's how these things work. <laughs> Did it suck? Give it back to the other studio. <laughs> Let's make a better one. Get Marvel to do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it's bright, it's colourful, it's got minions in it. All right, they're kind of retreading old ground and undoing ground previously walked upon, but yeah, you know, what's a despicable me movie? You know what you're getting. Oh, help me, Dr. Sayers. Number one. Dr. Sayers, Dr. Sayers. Dr. Sayers, Dr. Sayers. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. I think you're crazy. Want a second opinion? <laughs> also, uh, Wolf and Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Which, right, I love this. You you saw this as well, didn't you? Of course. And I saw it uh, opening day. I did love You did. In fact, we did the review we, together. Yeah, we did it like an hour after. We did it an hour after you saw it, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I love the hell out of this. Um, what an ending to a trilogy. What an ending to what's turned out to be a really great trilogy. Yeah. I think I prefer it to Dawn. Really? Now, yeah. Okay. That's, that's Maybe just marginally. I think we've just stumbled across the big pub conversation of the year. The big pub, pub film conversation of this year, I think, is going to be. So where does War fit into that trilogy? Yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff uh, on Twitter where it's just... It's got, like, a list of all yeah. nine, I think, including the Tim Burton are we, are we going with the nine now? Oh, good God. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we all agree that Burton's is at the bottom. Yeah, so you've got some guy on Twitter, like, had them all, like, lined up, so it was, like... Yeah, fair. OG, this... <laughs> Whatever, by the bottom, just like Dawn, number, Dawn for number, me is number, number nine just said Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> Wahlberg of the planet of the apes. <laughs> anyway, so, um, no, I really, really love this. It's such a well put together film. It's so thoughtfully constructed. It goes a lot more for meaning than it does spectacle, which is really something, especially with the trilogy closer, because I think it's a smart move when you consider that you couldn't yeah. necessarily go bigger than Dawn. There are some really good set pieces. There's some great set pieces, but yeah. I think in terms of the scale of it, having the whole city aspect in Dawn, I don't think you could go much you didn't further. You this was going to be set mainly in one location. It was going to be essentially a prison. Well, that's it. I mean, it's amazing. I've been calling it a concentration camp movie with oh, it Planet is. of the Apes, yeah. and I think that's the best way to describe it. It's really something. If you're a fan of the old school Apes movies, you're going to love where this goes. You're going to love the ebbs and flows of it. You're going to love the, the backhanded acknowledgements of things that have gone on before or going to come after. And if you're not a fan, this might actually be strong enough filmmaking to make you stand up, take notice, and say, wow, oh, 
okay, clearly I've been misjudging this. But like you and I keep saying that these films are generally quite well regarded. We just don't talk about them when they're not out. Mm. Which is odd because they're great. great. They are great. I think this should get recognition as one of the best trilogies. I think it will now. But well, we can hope. In which case, so have we got more from D twenty three? Yeah, so let's talk about the Marvel side of D23. Ah, Marvel me, sir. What do you got? Yeah. So I want to talk specifically around some new characters that were unveiled for Infinity War. Okay, I didn't... Why do I not know about new characters? Oh, yes, I do. You Sorry. definitely do. I'm okay. sure you do. I do, I do, yes. Yeah. So, of course, uh, Thanos is going to be the big bad. Josh Brolin? Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. Still being Thanos. Uh, he was there looking all... Looking all buff and she is, man. Looking like Cable. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's playing Cable right now. Uh, he had uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, which is amazing. Do you, think, do you think Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth just turned to him going, can you even lift, bra? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, Chris Evans wasn't, wasn't there. Like, oh, was he not? No. Oh, he's too busy picking an Ann Coulter on Twitter. Um, yes, cause, cause, that was amazing. Because he is the hero we need right now. Exactly. Yeah, uh, Yeah. it was unveiled that uh, the children of Thanos will be in the film. Oh, well. The Black Order, I want to say? Uh, Black Order is what we're being called. Nice. So, uh, Corbus Clave, uh, Proxima, Midnight, Ebony Maw. And uh, Black Dwarf. Were you just doing those from memory? Because that's impressive. I did one of us from memory. Oh, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair. <laughs> the only one I remembered was uh, was Ebony Moore. Ebony Moore? Ebony Moore. That's only because that was named my uh, first girlfriend, Ebony Moore. Yes, yes. Yeah. So what else is going on in the MCU then, Mr. Hill? Well, based on the footage that was shown, I'm not going to go into detail. Because one of them um, is a whopping spoiler, but one yeah. One pretty huge. Mm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, something around uh, Chris Evans' character, around Steve Rogers. Yeah. There is a rumour going around that he won't really be Captain America. He's going to ditch that, because he kind of ditched that name. He, he left the S.H.I.E.L.D. behind. That's the... Left the S.H.I.E.L.D. behind. Makes the will return as Nomad. Ah, now I've been wondering about that for a while, yes. Because, because when he put the S.H.I.E.L.D. down, it seemed to be the move to... Yeah. And know. also, he's got a beard. This. Well, kind of Captain America with a beard. Yeah. That's just wrong. Chris Evans... It's like, it's like having a Doctor Who with boobs. <laughs> just... <It's rough. laughs> Who would do something silly like that? Females can be women now. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's time lord, not time, time mistress. <laughs> not time labia. <laughs> oh, man, some of the uh, idiot comments on that. I thought we were going to try to get through the episode without talking about it, but no. it's, it's happened. Let's, so, just, let's, let's just talk let's, about how, how, how civilization has not collapsed now that we have... Yeah, uh, we're, we're fine. We're, we're, okay. we're good. Turns out civilization did not collapse. Yeah. As long as there's not a female Brexit, that's... Oh, well, oh, you've got to draw a line oh, somewhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jodie Whittaker was cast as the 13th Doctor. That is good news. If you don't think so, well... Well, you know what offends me more than anything about this? What? If you were going to go and get a cast member from Attack the Block to be the Doctor, why didn't you get <laughs> Nick Frost or John Boyega? <laughs> yeah. I would have loved a Nick Frost Doctor. <laughs> Same fact. That skinny white boy as well. What's his name? Uh, it was in uh, Street Cap named Bob. Oh, uh, oh, it's, it's not Luke Bracey, is it? No, he's the Point Break one. He's Johnny Useless. Johnny Useless. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't. Oh, I've forgotten his. I've forgotten his name, but he would be really good as uh, a companion. I feel. He would. He would. I think. Yeah. Yes. Also, because Chris Marshall was like a big rumored name, I think he might be a companion. No, yeah, and I could see that more than him being Doctor. What? Hang on. What, what was this? What, he was in a series, wasn't it? Like Death in Paradise. Or yeah, something? and he quit and that. He quit, and that. Yeah was speculation that he's going to be a doctor. Uh, uh, not. Yeah. I think he'll be a companion. Oh, okay then. Yeah. So, uh, let me talk about City of Ghosts then, which is so... Mo- I'm glad we had this moment to cheer up a bit, though, because we have to talk about City of Ghosts. Oh, yeah. This is a... This is a real cheerful one, this one, yeah. Okay, so City of Ghosts, which is a new documentary from Matthew Heinemann, um, who directed... Do you remember Cartel Land? Did you ever see that? 
Yes. Right, so he's actually director of Cartelland. He's directing here, and his producer is none other than Mr. Alex Gibney, who is a particular favourite of mine. Huh. Yeah. This comes by way of Amazon Studios. Now, that's going to get important in a minute. <laughs> and this is the story of um, Raka is being slaughtered silently, which is uh, an underground news organisation born out of the Syrian city of Raqqa, which, if you don't know, was basically hijacked by ISIS, um, who who then established it as their central hub and basically operate from there. These handful of journalists were determined to get word out into the world so that everyone knew what was going on in Raqqa, and they were eventually, after the deaths of several of them and witnessing more brutalities than they can even list, they decided to go into exile themselves. So some wound up in Istanbul, some wound up in Germany. And even after their exile, they still kept going, they still kept using sources who were still within Raqqa, using very primitive mobile phone signals, Signals, uh, using very weak satellite upload speeds, that still managed to publish photos and news from Raqqa. But ISIS, it turns out, uh, were uh, sharper on the ball than they'd expected, and uh, actually started waging a media war upon them. So this is the bit of ISIS that we never really see in the news. You know, the idea that actually they're about as media savvy as Scientology is. Well, that's the end of that mm-hmm. comparison. Please stop sending me angry letters. Um, and and they they put out adverts, basically really really nicely produced adverts, glossy stylish adverts that contain the words. Those of you who are against us, you know who you are. We're going to find you. And and then they just politely say really really terrifying things they're going to do to these specific four or five guys, and then put these ads out in the world. And we are made to watch as these guys sit there and see this footage for the first time. And you think, my God, how do you sleep at night? And at one point, we actually see you don't. You just basically black out from exhaustion because you're that paranoid and you're that tired of looking over your own shoulder. These guys are forced to watch not only the complete decimation of their home, which comes to them in drips and drabs, comes to them in a handful of images and things like that, um, but they're then forced to watch other friends of theirs who've gone into exile with them. So one of whom went to Istanbul, for instance, then go and get executed in the streets. And not the streets of Syria, but of Istanbul. And you're like, wow, I can't believe this is actually something that they have that grasp, but they can just go, I mean, obviously we know. But it's seeing it on this personal level, this raw and this emotional level. That's that's one thing. Where the film then goes with it, which is to include some of the most harrowing real-world footage you have ever seen, and we mean executions, heads on spikes everything it is something that will rock you to your very core it is a film that will get you thinking a film that will get you talking and it is a film that deserves to be a water cooler film it's something that i i, I mean I, i'm not surprised it took two great filmmakers type teaming up to actually deliver something like this two great documenta- documentarians um the guys who feature in it are genuine heroes they, they they really are for the things they go through in this story they are real stone cold heroes if ever you know people say that journalists aren't heroes anymore more the guys who are and I'm really glad that it is an Amazon Studios film because it means that sooner rather than later it will be on Amazon Prime it can't get to Amazon Prime quick enough for my money I'd rather not see it in cinemas I'd rather see this go straight to Amazon Prime and become really talked about and become really become a water cooler film and if you're in the dark, as we tend to be on these things, if you're in the dark about where ISIS come from, how they sort of appeared overnight, where their funding comes from, etc., 
they take the time. They give you this full story, and it's done in a very human, very relatable sense, a, a, a viewpoint that you can actually see, oh, wow, I can imagine how that would actually work, how seeing that unfold would actually affect you. There's, and it evokes so many historical parallels, like, um, you know, the Nazi, the infamous obviously Nazi book burnings, for instance. That comes up when they're destroying all the satellite dishes in, in Raqqa, and, which is literally staged as if it's a book burning. And played in exact same way. Children being taught to behead teddy bears, and like with, like toddlers, toddlers being taught to behead teddy bears, and you come away from it thinking that was incredible. I don't want to say I enjoyed it because there's no possible way you could elicit any kind of enjoyment from it. Only a sick yeah. person could. But yeah, this is harrowing to say the least, blinding to say anything else. But I I, I can't recommend it highly enough. But. So, yeah, but uh, anyway, that, that's enough of the, the really dark and the bleak. Should we do the jump, come back and actually yeah, do some news? Yeah, that sounded like the feel-good film of the summer. That really was. That's, that's this year's Sundown Millionaire. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back, and despite the fact that it's Star Wars, we're not dancing. So, Mr. Allen, some news. Uh, Walton Goggins is going to be in Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's brilliant. Okay, Isn't so just to, just to break this down for those who don't know then. So Ant-Man and the Wasp is the sequel to Ant-Man. Walton yes. Goggins is an actor. Yes, yes, he's an actor man. He's an actor man. And if you don't know who Walton Goggins is, you are missing out. I feel like if you don't know who he is, you've almost certainly seen him in a film. Oh, or, God, yeah. or a TV show. He's wasn't, been in so much. Wasn't he in the last attempt to reboot Predator? Uh, yeah, he was. He was, wasn't yeah. he? Was I was in this conversation com- with my friend the other day. Weirdly. Was he the convict? Yes. Oh, I won't say that. Um, he's in Django. He's in loads of shows. Oh, he's in The Shield. I loved he's him in, in The, the Shield. Shield. He's uh, in Vice Principals. It's like his lead he is. thing. He's uh, in Justified. Justified. Also, I was trying to He's the series villain, basically, in Justified. Yes, he is. Um, he's just, he's great, isn't he? Yeah, he was in Django and Hateful Eight, wasn't he? He did two Tarantino Yeah, films. he was more of a lead in Hateful Eight. Yes. Which yes, is, he yeah. He's really good in He's Hateful so good, Eight. isn't he? Yeah. No one does Southern Menace. No, like Southern Menace draw yeah. him. Oh, man, he's He's going to be the bad guy in uh, New Tomb Raider. He is, yes. Yeah, he's going to be in what's that maze runner maze Maze runner Runner. yeah is it is it the death cure or the death trials or the the cure trials i don't know (laughs) the death cure death trials or the cure trials or the cure death death it's a variation on those words i don't know and that's how we title those films we just chop (laughs) them up just put them in order there we are pick them out of a hat that's it It, it's it's that that's how you wind up with films called ah the headphone conundrum (laughs) starring jennifer lawrence ah what the creeping kid (laughs) for my film the The creeping creeping kid Uh, there's no confirmation about who or what he's going to be playing i feel like he's going to be the bad guy or a bad guy because he's always great i think being a bad guy having two ant-man having two ant-men effectively or an ant-man and woman in this Mm case um means you need a solid villain and i feel like after the last time where the villain was obviously a mirror image of of, uh, michael douglas yeah i think having something edgy and sharper would be good and having someone like walton goggins it would be kind of perfect that that really sells it i think we're gonna have more casting on that film really soon because it's it's starting shooting like a fortnight so we're going to have that Sharon Stone announcement any day now. Oh, yeah. Oh, at at yeah. Comic-Con, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Sharon, Sharon Stone as Janet Van Dyne. I'm telling you. I'm predicting it. That's totally what's going to happen. I mean, yeah, we've been talking about it for like the last year and a bit. She, she said she was in a Marvel movie. And not only that, she said she's got a wee part in a Marvel movie. Yeah, a wee part in it. A couple, but Sharon Come Stone on. and Michael Douglas. Come on. Yes. This is the label Perfect. that gave us Tango and Cash in the same movie again. 
I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah, they're going to do that. They're, they they know what they're doing. They're going to get us Nick and Catherine back together, you know. <laughs> but uh, okay, so on to a non-Marvel superhero then. Let's talk about Captain Underpants, the first epic movie, uh, which is based on the uh, the Captain Underpants series of books by uh, Dave uh, Daff Pilkey, yeah. and uh, I'll get his name eventually. And uh, <laughs> this, so this is uh, the story of. Uh, it's, it's twelve books, isn't there? There's twelve books yeah, in this series loads. and loads of spin-offs and things. I thought it was a TV series for some reason, but uh, evidently no, it's books. Right, so um, this is the last DreamWorks movie that Fox is going to be distributing. Starts with starts being Universal from uh, How to Train Your Dragon Three, so which is 2019. Anyway, um, which means no DreamWorks animation movies the next two years. However, will we? Live? I don't know. I mean, presumably no Shrek reboots in that time. Right, so. Um, the general story is two ten-year-old boys, one voiced by Thomas Middleditch, one voiced by Kevin Hart, both of whom weirdly can convincingly play children. I, I, I'm not going to breathe anything into that, but uh, one of them just stays in Silicon Valley mode, strangely, though. Uh, basically, they, uh, they love to stage pranks and draw hand-drawn comic books featuring a character they've created called Captain Underpants, whose power basically involves flying, strength, and pants. And he literally is a large, bald man in pants. He happens to bear a striking resemblance to their school principal, Mr. Krupp, as well. And uh, Mr. Krupp... Is it Krupp? Crump? I can never remember. Uh, it is Krupp. Yes, Mr. Krupp uh, wants nothing more than to basically catch the two boys in the act of some prank so that he can split them up and let their friendship uh, wither on the vine, as it were. And uh, he sets this in motion. However, they, in a desperate attempt to save their friendship... Find a way using a child's toy hypno ring to actually hypnotise Mr. Krupp so that whenever they click their fingers, he becomes Captain Underpants. And when someone sprays water on him or he steps in a puddle or he gets wet in any way, he goes back, he reverts back to being Mr. Krupp. And this all coincides with a villain arriving at the school, pretending to be a science teacher with designs on removing children's laughter from the world. Here's a clip of his hiring. Now, where did I put that racer me? Nope, not that. Oh, this thing. Aha, here we go. Hmm. Says here you're a science teacher? Not exactly. But you have teaching experience. Oh, no, I can't say that I do. Not even, like, babysitting? I would never sit on a baby. I'm getting a really good vibe about you. Now, hold on. Let me see that resume. It says here that you were a genius inventor? Man, Genius inventor. And then for the last few years, you've been in a very dark place, and your title was Revenge Seeker? Yeah, that's basically what I've been up to. <laughs> so, Nick, do you get the sense of oh. humor from it from there? Nick Kroll. Yeah, Nick Kroll. <laughs> now, that really is that's the level of humor all the way through, and you don't think, actually, that, that the, a movie called Captain Underpants could in any way be this sharp. It's really, really quite satirical. Um, there's a whole element with a shrink ray and a grow ray in which a school is shrunk, and the Nick Kroll character starts making jokes about, look, I have a little school with little students and little teachers being paid little salaries in it, which is more <laughs> a reflection of the low value we put upon educators in our society. And you're like, okay, there's a gag. You, there's a gag you stick in a lot of uh, kids' movies, yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this. It was way more fun than I, I really thought it was going to be. Um, it sets itself up in a weird way for uh, a series, for you know further adventures to come down the line, but not outright. Not much more than any other sort of animated movie. It's you know it's called the first epic movie though, so you kind of imagine there'll be the second epic yes, movie. They're aiming for franchises. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I think it's a lot of fun though. I had a lot of fun with. It. I had a lot of laughs. I like the design style of it, which I think was closest to the Peanuts movie. 
than anything else. Um, the voice cast were all quite likable. I think Kristen Schaal uh, turns up as the as as a would be love interest for. Uh, uh, for what do you call it? For crop, really, rather than Captain Underpants. Uh, you've got uh, Mel Rodriguez from Last Man on Earth. Yes. Is in there. I forget that character's name in Last Man on Earth. But he's, oh, so I. Yeah, That's he turns up. Uh, Brian Persane is in there. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Peele's in there. Jordan Peele is in there as the school nerd. He's like the uh, the Martin Prince of this school. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great really voice good cast. cast. It is yeah. a really good cast, and deservedly so. You you get the impression this is a cast who saw this script and thought. Holy God, that is funny! Uh, I got to be in that, yeah, and deservedly so. It's a, it's, I'm really it's to it. a lot of fun. I, it, it's not the kind of thing you would race out and see. I know, but take my word for it. If you did see it, like next time you're down the line, you, you're burning up the uh, the limitless card or infinity card, which <laughs> yeah, uh, infinity. Uh, infinity. Next time you're setting the infinity card alight, um, give this a look. I think you'd really enjoy it. Um, surprisingly, it wasn't in 3D either. Which I'm not sure if it's being released in 3D, but uh, yeah. But alas, it is obviously not our film of the week because I wonder what is. Well, how could it possibly be film of the week when we have a bona fide masterpiece out and we never really get to say that? So yeah, so Dunkirk is your film of the week. Go and see Dunkirk. Go and see it on the biggest, loudest screen you can, and then when you've seen it, you'll probably want to see it again. So just get right back in the line and cut out the middleman. It is very, very worth it. Uh, reminder of our competitions. Uh, we've got uh, copies of Neruda on DVD, A Quiet Passion on Blu-ray. Uh, we've got uh, Wakefield, the, the new Brian Cranston movie. We've got Red Dog, The Early Years. These are all home-release titles you can win if you go onto onscreenfilm.com and also uh, tickets to see pop-up cinema. See the film of your choice at pop-up cinemas in London this summer which uh, can you imagine I'd love to see Deadpool that way pretty cool yeah. I'd love to see Deadpool that way you can you can do that it's your competition just skew it just that's totally why don't I do that yeah ethics, everybody ethics stupid <laughs> ethics uh, right so we're off next week we are back on August 4th and the films we are reviewing on August 4th include Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets I'm excited I'm going to try not to be that excited. I'm just looking forward to a new movie from the director of The Fifth Element. That's how you sell me a movie. Yeah. Uh, we've got Williams, which is a Formula One documentary. Uh, Maudy with Sally Hawkins and Ethan oh, Hawke. Is that, is that really that's, uh, that soon? I thought it was later on. No, that's, that's two weeks from now. Cool. Uh, we've got Land of Mine in two weeks' time. We've got The Ghoul as well. Uh, we've got England is Mine. Oh, the, Morrissey film. The Morrissey movie. And, of course, because there was such demand for it... The time is finally here. It is time for the property. We have long awaited to reach the big screen. It is time, people, for the Emoji Movie. Yes. <laughs> and I'll be spending my birthday watching that, would you believe? <laughs> I mean, what better ways are to spend your birthday than watch uh, Patrick Stewart be poop? <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly that. So, um, that's that's all we've got for this week, and indeed next week. Uh, if you want to know what's out next week, we're well, going to have to download the podcast edition and listen to the podcast extras. <laughs> In the meanwhile, this has been a Candy Store production for uh, On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Captain Underpants. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Yeah, two eggs, not three. Some people add uh, milk for consistency, but uh, it's a rookie move, man. It's a mistake. It's milk and eggs, bitch. No, no, no. So just, just get the milk. So just stick with the eggs. Anyway, so uh, podcast extras. Podcast extras. It's always fun. Yeah, here we are. Here we welcome. are. Welcome. Good evening. Well, welcome Good to uh, we, we Live Inside Your Phone now. 
and uh, <laughs> and there's no getting us out. We live in your phone. Oh, is that what you text her? Is it? Yeah, we're, we're like those <laughs> Apple apps that are automatically in your phone that you don't need but are there. We are a stock app. We are That's a stock are. app. Your weather and stocks. That's yeah. <laughs> and that is our new cop show. <laughs> weather and stocks. Weather and stocks. Cops that no one wants around, but they just can't get rid of. <laughs> Oh, man, NBC should be banging down our doors. Uh, yeah, so, okay, so we're off next week, um, but there are still films out. Yeah, we can't stop that. We can't stop we that. Can't stop I, I asked. All the I mean, I got in touch with Studio Canal and said, look, I really like The Big Sick, but I want to talk about it. Can you delay the release a week? And they said, no, no, we've already put the posters out now and ordered the sandwiches. Yeah. So Screw you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, alas. I mean, there's a couple of good ones, and, and next week there's a couple of bad ones. So... Let's let's talk about them in between some news. But you should you kick us off. You've got all the news. You have all the news. I have every single piece of news. You do all the news ever. Uh, what happened? I, t- I had something that lined up. I'll talk about this. This is good. Okay. So you know that um, I think I think this is either ABC or NBC, one of the networks in America. They've got this whole thing about having uh, live versions of films. Yes, like live stage yeah, yeah, yeah. broadcast. And they, they did that. They've done a couple of times. They like did the Rocky Horror and things like that, didn't they? Yes, yes. Um, they've announced. Oh, it is NBC. NBC. They, they've announced a new one that they're going to do. Okay, and then it's arguably one of the best stage plays of all time. That was then turned into an incredible film. That I know that you love. You know that I love this film very much. You know that I love the writer of this film very much, uh, the script of this film very much, and can recite it from heart. Did you order the code red? You damn right, I did. You're right, and that film is Stop or My Mum Will Shoot. <laughs> I would kill C. A live adaptation. That would be incredible. <laughs> Starring Betty White and Tom Hardy. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's who you get. No, of course, uh, a few good men. And this ties up the Alec Baldwin news. Okay. Spoke about. So who's Baldwin playing in this? I think he's playing Colonel Jessup. Yes. Oh, thank God. Oh, man. But I, how great is that? That's, that's brilliant casting. See, I want to see that breaking point. You know that unreal... This is the thing. I know Mark Kermode hates... He goes on at length about A Few Good Men. He hates that moment in A Few Good Men. Why? Because it's, it's a false... it's just the one that everyone goes It's a false thing that only happens in films. That's why he hates it. And uh, I've tried. I've tried. To what does he? About. What does he mean? A false thing? So is which, it one of those which, false, which unbelievable moments that only happens in films that that Jack Nicholson breaks on the stand? Right. Yeah. yeah. There's been aped in loads of other. Yeah. Things, there's been aped in loads, yeah. and of course, famously got re sort of uh, repurposed by Sam Jackson as "Yes, they deserve to die, and hope they burn in hell." That's which, great as well. Oh man, I love that moment. See that that needs to be a live that needs to be a live movie as yeah. well. But uh, with Tyrese. <laughs> because everything, <laughs> has, everything has to be Tyrese. Yeah. That's that's our, our decision on everything. Yeah, shot from Jaws. That's, that's Tyrese. That's, that's uh, the name of his book as well, isn't it? Tyrese's autobiography. Ev- ev- everything has, Tyrese. Everything has to be Tyrese. By Tyrese. <laughs> Forward by Tyrese. Edited by Tyrese. Tyrese was doing a live uh, a live performance for his musical career when I was in Dubai and I didn't get to go. Um, Why not? You cancel everybody. We just had other things on. I really wish I could. That was how I discovered that Tyrese had seven albums to his name. Yeah, because he's... a legitimate musician. Yeah, because he's Tyrese, and we love Tyrese. Although, apparently it's come out this week, he has had conversations with Warner Brothers about an unnamed superior film. Ooh, segue. Ooh, I know. Oh, yeah. love that segue. So, yeah. uh, oh, and I, I wonder who that is for. I wonder mm-hmm. indeed. Struck my chin. So, can I talk about the big sick real quick before we move on to more news? Oh, I was about to just do a segue into... Oh, the, go on, sorry. Warner pretend, Brothers Pretend news. I didn't say anything. Give me oh, some Warner Brothers news. it's going to be seamless. Go on, be, I said and, and on that bent, on that note, Warner's have dated two mystery DC films for 2020. 
Uh, okay. I wonder what it will be. I wonder indeed. I think one is probably the Batman. <laughs> More than likely. One is probably Wonder Woman 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one's kind of a given. Because it's amazing to me that, you know, Warner Brothers haven't, you know, responded to the success of Warner yeah. Brothers by announcing a sequel within nine minutes. Yeah, I mean, I thought we would just cancel everything and just release it next year. I kind of assumed that, to be honest. Yeah. I just fi- make it now. Have you ever seen that Robot Chicken sketch of uh, the morning that Pluto and Ash opened? Uh, no. Have you never seen it? No. Right, there is a sketch on Robot Chicken, and it, uh, it just shows you the studio. I think it's meant to be like Columbia or whichever the studio was that released Pluto and Ash. And it's, uh, they get the box office receipts in for the opening nights. They look at each other, they just, and then they just silently snap and start breaking each other's heads open and burning the office down. And they're, they're in a skyscraper, so people leap out the windows. And, and then a caption comes up and says, the, the day that Pluto Nash uh, opened saw the death of you know, 26 people and regarded as one of the worst crimes in cinematic history. <laughs> now, the exact opposite, I imagine, was at Warner Brothers that morning. There were orgies, uh, there were yeah, massages, there was a lot of lots of people got flowers. Yeah, yeah. just free money. We just got a big suitcase of money and just dumped it exactly. outside. The, the morning that Warner Brothers opened uh, Wonder Woman must have been like the end sequence from Wayne's Always. It's like, I love you, man, and I love you. And I've discovered that heterosexual love can exist between two grown men. So are you saying that, like, up until this point, the DCAU has been, like, the end of Wayne's World 2, where it's just different endings? <laughs> exactly, yeah. The Diva found when Louise won. Yeah, and then, they, then they get to Wonder Woman, and it's I love you, and I love <laughs> no, you too, let's, man. Let's, let's do the good end. Let's do the good end. <laughs> but okay, now can I talk about the big sick? Yes, because I've been looking forward to this. Right, okay, so the big sick, which is written by and uh, written by Kumail Nanjiani, who also stars in and produced it. Um, it was written by Nanjiani and his wife Emily Gordon, and it's based on their actual story of how they got together. Now. If you don't know this when you see the film, and then you're told it afterwards, as was the case with me, your immediate response... Did you not know? I didn't know. I knew certain elements of it were autobiographical. Hmm. I didn't realise the entire plot was. Now... Brace yourself, because what you're about to hear actually happened to someone. Okay, so, Kumail Anjiani is a struggling comedian who one day meets a, uh, you know, a, a the woman of his dreams as a, as a, as a voice in the crowd. Uh, they get together. They have uh, a brief relationship that seems to be going, headed towards a sort of a very quick breakup until an, um, an illness that she has puts her in a coma, puts her in a medically induced coma. Uh, medically induced, just puts her in a coma. Um, while she was medically induced, is it medically induced? Yeah, because they saw what something was wrong with her, and they thought that was so it. By by the time they would do that, right? Because he's uh, the basically the nearest person to her in life at that moment, they mistakenly use him as her uh, her emergency contact, and he then has to get in touch with her parents and tell them that she is in a coma. Her parents then show up, and he's sort of stuck with them, and he kind of gets to know them, and they're having relationship problems of their own, and he begins to sort of uh, relate to them, and he begins to see elements of himself in them, and think of ways that he can be better as a person, and uh, all of this goes on amidst a family backdrop of his own, in which his integrated Muslim family, who are living in Chicago, are also uh, trying to set him up with um, a quote-unquote more traditional uh, marriage. And so they keep bringing, uh, you know, potential wives to, to the Sunday dinner Sunday dinner table, and he has to shoot them down one at a time, and even come out to his parents, as it were, that he's he's dating a white woman. And it's, and it's staged in this wonderful way, as if he's, you know, as if he's coming out for, in any other sense. Uh, we have a clip of the couple 
meeting, well, for the first time after one of his comedy sets. Hi. Hi. Um, my name's Kamel. <laughs> yeah, we know. Yeah, we saw you before. Now that the niceties are out of the way, um, I have to tell you that when you yelled at me, it really threw me off, and uh, you really shouldn't heckle comedians. It's so rude. I didn't heckle you. I just woohooed you. It's supportive. Okay, that's a common misconception. Uh-huh. But yelling anything at a comedian is considered heckling. Heckling doesn't have to be negative. So if I if I yelled out like, "You're amazing in bed," <laughs> that'd be a heckle. Yeah, would be an accurate. So, Kamel Anjiani and uh, Zoe Kazan there. Because when you need the ultimate dream woman for a film, you go and get Zoe Kazan. That's, you go get Ruby Sparks. You get Ruby Sparks. Because yeah. this is, what, the third time she's been this character now. So we had Ruby Sparks. <laughs> we had What If with Daniel Radcliffe. Yes. Now we've got this. So I think we, we all just need to silently agree now that Zoe Kazan is the ultimate manic pixie dream girl mm. and and should just forever have all of these roles now. That That's it. <laughs> so sorry, Zoe Deschno, you can go home. You've got better things to do. Just she have several kids now. You you go home. She, she got a couple. She yeah. got a couple. You can go home and be a mum now. That's fine. That's fine. We, we've got someone to cover it for you. You're fine. Okay. So Zoe Kazan is is our new manic pixie dream girl. So, and she does it really well. And of course, the big thing here is is Kumail Nanjiani, who seems to have now been discovered as a film talent in that way that Amy Schumer was discovered when Trainwreck opened. And yes. Brilliant. Yeah, he'd been showing up in loads of comedies recently, past couple of years, and he obviously. Did. Was made a name through uh, Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. He's Dinesh in that, and he's just great. Oh, he's great. That. Let's think. Before that, he's one of those characters as well. He's one of those character comedies, uh, character comedians, sorry, who you always know for, you know, by the name of a specific character he played. So I knew him from Franklin and Bash. And for the first couple seasons of uh, Silicon Valley, I was still referring to him as Pindy. And now he's now he's Dinesh. Now he's Dinesh, and now he'll just be Kumail because that's that's, that's his that's name. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also the character he plays in. Yeah, um, right. So if you remove the really really clever element to this, which I'll get to in a minute, don't what, get into it too much. I'm not going to get too into it. But if you remove the really really clever element, what you you love you thinking of me when you say that? Uh, what you get really plays uh, say without knowing the story as a sort of in, gender inverted take on while you were sleeping. Which I'm fine with. I don't particularly mind while you were sleeping. And I like Sandy B. Everyone I like loves, Peter Gallagher. You love Bill Pullman. So I love Bill Pullman. Everyone's Bill Pullman. But you particularly yeah. love Peter Gallagher. So Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Although we, in what in what realm are they related? Bill no, Pullman and I Peter know. Gallagher, like I know. I mean, why is it not Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton? That I believe. That would because people used to confuse them all the time <laughs> exactly, anyway. Yeah. Uh, right, but uh, no. So you remove that. What you've got is a gender inverted while you were sleeping. I'm fine with that. It works really well. And Kumail Nanjiani has the natural charm to basically pull that off. And uh, Zoe Kazan does make for a, a believable, investable, romantic foil. Right. The really, really clever part with the film, which I won't go into too uh, deeply, because obviously I'll say something completely wrong and inadvertently offensive. Right. But it does direct relate to me. Directly to me. So one of the things I really like is I really, really love. The the depiction of an uh, an involved uh, and integrated Muslim family in a Western country, and I really like the way it's played there. There are elements to it that I particularly can really, really relate to. There are scenes in there I have seen firsthand, and they're both hilarious and terrifying in equal measure. And uh, it's played really well. And I like that Kumail Nanjiani is getting... He's the, he's the first one of the crop of current um, Arab-American, Arab-Asian-American comedians to really get his time in the spot. I'm hoping the next one is going to be... Um 
Hassan Minaj uh, from the Daily Show and did the White House Correspondence Dinner oh, earlier yeah. this year. I was struggling to think of his name. Yeah, I'm sure you were. Um, not at all. Like We just completely messed that up and re-edited it. Um, right. But he has got, uh, he's got a supporting role in the new uh, uh, Saturday Night Live, Holtzman from Ghostbusters. Yes. Kate McKinnon comedy. Kate McKinnon's doing a comedy with Mila Kunis. Yeah, uh, Rough Night. No. No, the spy one. Oh, uh, yeah, I forgot my spy. Oh, Mil- good. Um, Kate McKinnon is going to be in Rough Night. She is, she is, she yeah, is, she, she is. is yeah. But Kate McKinnon's going to be in loads of films coming up. I Kate don't, McKinnon I don't know has, how yeah. she's still in SNL. I don't either, but you know what? It's on season break, so I'm sure she's very busy. But, yeah. uh, say, Hassan Minaj is going to be, uh, be in that, and that's apparently the first one of these big films he's going to do. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani instantly turned up earlier this year in Fist Fight as the security guard, yes. if you remember. Right, but uh, he's absolutely a trendsetter, and I hope this is a sign of things to come. I really, really love his writing. I really love his work. I think he's tremendous here. Um, there's elements to it as well, as far as the race issue of the film goes. There are elements in it that have weirdly become more poignant politically in over the course of the year since this film presumed a year you know since this film's been completed uh there is a heckling sequence for instance that i won't go into specifics on but it, it does involve a, a, a racial moment a, a moment of sort of profound racism which i think was meant as more of a general thing when the movie was made more meant more of a generally dismissive comment and now just comes across as quite a politically culturally motivated uh, act of hate mm. and it's weird how that moment works on either level but kind of now on the current level works with more poignancy and its payoff has more poignancy but it is about the casting and it is about the writing and it is about the human behind it Ray Romano and Holly Hunter as Zoe Kazan's parents are absolutely brilliant Holly Hunter's not getting to do an awful lot more than we've seen her do before. We've seen her do this kind of character. You know, the sort of, I'm in a comedy, but I'm not the one telling the jokes. Mm. The straight man in the comedy, the, 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 the tightly wound one. Ray Romano gets all that. Ray Romano gets to be your, oh, shucks, aren't I lovely comic <laughs> character? Albeit, you know, sporting a beard and a bit more gruffness than we're used to seeing. Yeah, he's, he's got glasses. Yeah, he's, they've added some sex appeal. He's got some of that hipster sex appeal going on. Yeah, didn't, didn't your girlfriend say that she's got, <laughs> she's got some for <laughs> I'm a little attracted to Ray Romano. That, that's fine. That's fine. I have Kathleen Turner. It's fine. But uh, anyway. But uh, yeah, so I really loved it. I, I think it's... I didn't go um, weak at the knees for the actual story of it. I went weak at the knees for the writing of it. And I yeah. think it's something... Unlike, well, it's, it's not just Kamele, but it with Emily Gordon. Yeah, exactly. But it is the writing of it that's the success. And I think the fact that you know, they are a real-life couple and they, have, they are telling their own story. And I mm. like how bravely they've taken on certain elements of their story and how direct they've been about it. And unlike, for instance, while you were sleeping, when she wakes up from the coma, there's a whole other element introduced to this that you, you think, wow, okay, this, that's, that's kind this of uncharted event, yeah. territory for these kind of films. And hats off to you for exploring it. It's genuinely very. It's a very. It's got a very predictable core element, but around it are these surprises, and it's it's worth seeing for those surprises, and really just for Kumail Anjiani's in a movie. How awesome is that? <laughs> and he's not playing a one-note, two-scene sidekick. So I'm all for that. Or a stereotype. Or a stereotype. Yeah. yeah oh, because the film is very much about uh, subverting stereotypes, particularly as regards the scenes with his family. Yeah, I uh, remember seeing an episode of The Daily Show once with uh, as if. Uh, oh, Asif Mandvi. Asif Mandvi, yeah. And he said that for the first five years of him living in America and yes. going for film roles, it was just like, oh, I'm going to be this terrorist. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I saw that one as well. And then, weirdly, by coincidence, a couple of days later, I was watching Spider-Man 2, and he's the pizza shop yes, owner at the is, beginning. Yeah. Who you forget about that, don't you? Yeah. I like Osif Manfi, though. He's, he's, as do I, yeah. He turned up in that god-awful Mother's Day. Yeah, last he did, year. Yeah. Wasn't he like Kate Hudson's husband? Kate Hudson's husband, wasn't he? Yeah, because Kate Hudson's parents... Didn't know she was married to an Asian man. That's the story yeah, element. And then when yeah. we find out, they lost it completely. Yeah. And, and then, inevitably, uh, Margot Martindale, who's playing her mum, starts to embrace the culture, but then it like embraces it in all the wrong ways. Exactly, so, yep. yeah. I think, um, on, on the subject of uh, of The Big Sick and race, um, I think it's incredibly fortuitous this opens in the same year as Get Out. Yeah, funny. If we manage to get sort of a, another one of these for women, we can basically just call it the hat trick for the year. If we get a really smart, really sharp feminist comedy this year... Oh, we're getting that, aren't we? Uh, Bad Mum's Christmas. We're getting Bad Mum's Christmas. Yeah. But if, for instance, let's say Rough Night turns out to be the razor-sharp work of wit that it has every bit of potential as being, this could be a really, really good I don't think year. It I, don't, I don't think that, that film's aspiring to be that. There's oh. really good people, like, behind it and yeah. in front of the camera for it, obviously. But, but you know, it has got Ty Burrell in it, so you know, it yes. could, could be amazing. Lest we forget. <laughs> Lest we forget. So, um, The Dark Tower is the coming Tower. out soon. Uh, they've announced how long it's going to be. Yes, I heard this, and I was gobsmacked. Yeah, it's going to be 95 minutes long. Do they not know this is 2017? I mean, where's our three-and-a-half-hour theatrical and four-hour, 15-minute director's cut? The thing is, of all the films that could like warrant being that long, could warrant being about two-and-a-half hours long, three hours long, <laughs> oh, yeah. this is enough content. It's a pretty big story, isn't it's it? It's hefty. It and spans entire worlds. Yeah. But, okay. Sony want this to be a franchise. We want this to be a franchise starter. We only saw the first trailer for it about a month and a half ago. It's, it's out this summer, isn't it? So It's out next month. Yeah, so I was going to say it was August. Yeah, but yeah. usually for these kind of films, you see the, the, the first trailer six months in advance. Well, unless it's, say, mm. Fantastic Four, in which case I think it was about a month. Well, path for course, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't want it to suck because I really love the director. I obviously... You love the director, you love the two stars. I love the story. Yeah. But I'm worried about it. <laughs> We've got some festivals coming up. Some festivals. Film festivals, because then, of course, we'll be in award season. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Venice Film Festival has announced that their first film is going to be a film called Downsizing. Have you heard about this? Is that the Matt Damon one? Matt Damon. Oh, uh, and Alec- Todd... Alexander Payne. Uh, Alexander Payne. Yeah. Oh, why am I saying Todd Haynes, then? I don't know. Very different filmmakers. I am so in for this film. This, this is the one where you get physically diminutionized, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, in order to make all of our resources stuff last longer and yeah. for things to just be cheaper. <laughs> so you would live in a smaller house, obviously. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. wouldn't need as big of a house. You would eat less food because you're small. Yeah. Wow. It's genius. Such a good cast as well. Matt Damon, uh, Kristen Wiig, Christopher Waltz, Alec Baldwin, Neil Patrick Harris, Jason Sudeikis. Alec Baldwin? What's he done lately? <laughs> I think he needs some stage work. Did you see the picture of him for uh, Mission Impossible 6? Uh, no, I have not. Just, he's just looking great. Was he just holding a phone to his ear and looking smug? Yeah, like he's just said Hunt. <laughs> it is the way Alec Baldwin answers, answers a phone in that movie. Holy God, there is nothing cooler. <laughs> Get me out. <laughs> <laughs> he's the manifestation of destiny. <laughs> okay, let's talk about uh, cardboard gangsters really quickly. Do you know wow. the term cardboard gangsters? Uh, no, I'm not familiar with it. It basically refers to wannabe gangster. 
By Wheatus. Sadly, not the song. Shame. No, I know. It's basically those who are playing at being a gangster, but are not really. Oh, that makes sense. They don't got no cred, to put it bluntly. Uh, this is an Irish... It's the least gangster film I've ever heard. Exactly. Uh, Spike Lee's They Ain't Got No Cred. <laughs> a Spike Lee joint. <laughs> Starring Mandy Patinkin as Mr. Cred. <laughs> I don't know why I went. So it's a musical. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, Oh, speaking of Mandy Patinkin, really quickly, uh, I saw the trailer for Wonder earlier. Mandy Patinkin's in it. Can't wait. Yeah, I'm in. As is uh, David Diggs from uh, Hamilton slash Blackish slash Snowpiercer. Yeah, slash every great movie that's going to come by all accounts. So he's awesome. He he is, isn't he? Yeah, I love David. So let's speak about the next thing that's not going to be the big thing. Though, let's talk about cardboard. Let's talk about Uh, Irish crime movie. uh, Basically, twenty something uh, son of a single mum uh, finds that she is struggling with uh, keeping up with the bills left uh, and debts left her by her, uh, her de- you know the dead patriarchal family he decides he's going to uh, make things better through the aid of inverted comma inverted quote dj gigs and what this actually is is a front for his uh, his street corner drug dealing although his street corner drug dealing soon soon finds him stepping on the toes of the local drug kingpin and there's a feud that erupts between the two now this is largely a cast of unknowns okay i looked at the cast list of this and uh, the only person of note that i could find <laughs> and it was i saw the name and thought that, that name just seems like it should be someone who's known for something, and it just turned out to be an actress from EastEnders uh, called Kirsten Waring, I think, who, again, I don't recall ever seeing an EastEnders. I don't really watch EastEnders. But um, it's really, really a film of B-plots. Every plot movement in it seems like, to be like a B-element. Like B-movie. Except exactly without... the same. What? But... No, nothing B-plots. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That was that, so... that's cleverer than anything cardboard gangsters. That <laughs> and really, really is. not that clever. Right. <laughs> everything in it is a B plot. As in everything feels like it should be the subplot to the actual story of the film. The story of this film actually never appearing. And they just for instance, there's the element between your main character and the bad guy's wife. The, the, the antagonist's wife, they have a bit of a thing which takes place over two scenes. So you're not really led to believe that it's anything of consequence, but then, obviously, later on, we're told that it is. This film just chugs along without ever really introducing what seems to be the core story and constantly bombarding you with what feel like subplots, only for you to then get to the end of the film and they try to weave all this together. And you're like, oh, okay, so the subplots are the plots. Well, since you're not Christopher Nolan, I'm pretty sure that that's not intentional and is purely just crap filmmaking, in which case um, I bid you good day, sir. I said good day. Over to you, Mr. L. I think for that moment we need a clip of John Oliver saying Because <laughs> he says it so often. He does, doesn't he? Sure. Should we find one? I'm not yeah. sure on what episode he ever did it, but let's find one. Good day, sir. I said good day. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you with the news, good sir. Cool. Uh, Jonah Hill is making a film uh, called Mid Nineties, the first film that he uh, is going to direct. That's the one with Michelle Williams in, isn't it? Not anymore. No, no, no. Oh. Shocker! She has dropped out. I think it's like just a scheduling conflict. She's got nineteen of the films that year. That's she fine. surely has. Um, it's being uh, replaced by uh, Catherine Watson, who I don't mind. I think she's all right. Oh God! I, I really? Did, I didn't see Alien Covenant. 
You didn't see Alien Covenant? So maybe... Oh, oh okay. Well, it. you'd be bored of her as well if it was Alien Covenant. Because I like... Well, I, I like her in Fantastic Beasts, and I like her in Inherent Vice, and I like her in Steve Jobs as well. Okay. So, um, the three things I can remember seeing her in, I thought she was pretty good. I prefer her on television. And Yeah, and also, her dad is Sam Waterston. So... Fair, fair enough, but I mean... Her know. dad is Sam Waterston. Yeah, but Charlie Sheen's dad is Martin Sheen. That doesn't mean we give Charlie Sheen a free pass to do Funny you mentioned that. They are gay lovers in Grace and Frankie. Are they? Yeah. Who? Martin Sheen and... Sam Watson. No way! That's the whole setup of that... Do you not know what that show's about? Oh, hang on. Yeah, yeah, hang on. Isn't it that the two friends, their husbands become lovers... So They've been working together for like 50 years, and then they... Fuck, they like, just fall in love with each other. Okay. And I had... it's, it's Sam Watson and Martin Sheen. I had no idea. Wow. Right, that sounds, I, like, I like that moment that just happened. That, that sounds hilarious. I'm going to watch that. By the way, speaking of television, can I tell you about a series that I started watching this week? <coughs> was it Game of Thrones? Uh, oh, well, actually, I did watch Game of Thrones, and uh, it was incredible. Did you watch it? Of course I did. Right, okay. We, did... we made a whole night of it. We bought steaks. Really? Yeah, we ate, we had steak. <laughs> so, we, as one does when watching Game of Thrones. We've, we've decided when, yeah, when we watch Game of Thrones on Monday nights, <coughs> we're going to have a different meet. That sounds very good. I yeah. th- so, at what point do you introduce Wild Boar into the mix? Maybe for episode eight, I like think the so. last one of the season. Yeah, that's that's we, where you. We, we really, I would get like a full like hog roast. I say you just get a full wild boar on a, on a roast on a, you know, a pit outside. You know? Yeah, yeah. We've got the garden for it. You have, yeah. Um, but no, Game of Thrones. I thought was amazing, and also how great was that opening scene? So good, so good. Most shows don't come back with that uh, that kind of swagger and body-dropping confidence. <laughs> yeah. But Game of Thrones did. No, I wanted to talk to you about uh, Dimension 404, which I discovered this this last week, um, which I've had access to for months and not gotten around to. And it's a Hulu series that basically plays like The Outer Limits in the in the 90s. The 90s version of The Outer Limits. And mm-hmm. it has, each episode's an anthology story and it's kind of like a really, really silly, black, a much sillier Black Mirror. And... Uh, there was one I watched, and it starred the sidekick from Goosebumps. And it's the sidekick from Goosebumps, as well as... Who else was it? Ken Foree and Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. And it was about... It's set in the 80s, and it's about an arcade machine that's actually the devil. That sounds great. Yeah. There's another episode that's Sarah Highland and Pat Oswalt. It is really, really worth watching. The current episode I'm watching stars um, Lorenza... Iso, I believe, hmm. a.k.a. the best thing about uh, uh, Eli, Eli Roth. <laughs> so, anyway, so, over to you. Any more news? Uh, there's a couple more pieces. Okay, uh, We've got, like, three more slots. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, Luke Besson is already at work at the uh, sequel to Valerian. Well, because he's not like not, not likely to lose money on... Because uh, it's, it's foolproof, that film. No, exactly. It, it genuinely is the way that it's been made. Yeah, he's pre-sold so much of it that it needs to make like eight million to make a profit. And I think he's going to at least get eight million. I think he'll get eight million just from Cara's mates showing up to see it. I'll give him eight million just to uh, <laughs> make another Leon. Right. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo has again had to shoot down oh, yeah, future Hulk this. movies. I know. But said it's nothing to do with him, nothing to do with Marvel. It's more Universal. They don't want to get in bed <laughs> with Marvel. Is, there is this quote that I love. Universal don't seem to know how to play right, uh, play uh, yes. play nice with Marvel. Also, they don't like making money. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Imagine having the brass yes, balls to say that. He's amazing. But um, what else? Hugh Jackman was gonna be Scar. Yeah. But he's actually not playing Scar. He's not playing Scar. <laughs> no, he was rumored to be uh, Scar in uh, The Lion King. Yeah. Chevis for a segue. Um, but he's not. 
There was, okay. there was a picture of him in Disney World, and the caption was partners. Someone was like, oh, yeah, cool. So he is going to be that. And then there was a rumor that he was going to be Scar, but then his people have said, no, he's just there. Yeah, fair enough. Just at Disney. Um, but at D23, they did unveil some footage of The Lion King. Yeah. And it was did the they? whole. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. No. It was the whole uh, Circle of Life sequence. <gasps> they had that already. Wow. At, like, with like a two minute version of that. So John Oliver's been doing his lines already then. Well, there was there was no dialogue or anything. Uh, it was just the music and then the full see. animated thing. This is something I can't wait for. This is something that's genuinely going to blow me away. Apparently, people were in tears watching it. Good. That's what we want. That's yeah. kind of what we expect. Rafiki looks perfect, people were saying. Oh, okay. uh, Simba sneezes like he does in the film. Excellent. Just, just every like little touch, I think, is there. So yeah. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> right, so let me talk about uh, Hounds of Love. Kate Bush. Kate Bush. Not Kate Bush. Um, Future ads. No, no. This, no. Is, this is an Australian true crime horror movie. Uh, and uh, well actually I'm not sure if it's true crime it's presented as if it's true crime it's set in the late 80s and it follows a teenage girl as she is picked up and uh, you know duped into getting into a car and then subsequently abducted by um, a, a, a sinister married couple and basically used as a, a sort of torture object or plaything. Um, but basically starts to see something of a way to sort of psychologically survive by kind of widening the ever present uh, emotional gap between the couple by sort of inciting them to argue and inciting them to fight and uh, this is real at times really powerful i mean it, it sinks a little bit into melodrama on occasion but the bulk of it has a very wes craven very last house on the left kind of a vibe to it although presented entirely as this is real this happens in a real suburb this is a you know this is a true world story, but again, never forsaking its slightly more sensational elements. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought the performances in it were very strong. Um, I thought the direction of it again kept it grounded, kept it gritty. Never really sold the sensationalist elements of it, which is a very clever thing to do. And uh, all three of the core performances, uh, the girl and the couple respectively. All great. Really solid, really sort of investable, believable performances. Um, actually, yeah, I came away from it thinking, win. I mean, I watched this and, and Cardboard Gangsters back-to-back, so it might be a knock-on effect from Cardboard Gangsters being, you know, yeah, so Anything flimsy. compared is like Citizen Kane. You know, cardboard Gangsters was flimsy. It wasn't even as, wasn't even as stiff as Cardboard. But, it wasn't that, uh, like, corrugated cardboard. It wasn't even that corrugated stuff. No. No, it was that that cheap uh, that, that that cheap Amazon uh, uh, yeah, packaging cardboard. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, so uh, no, this was really something I'd recommend this wholeheartedly. So, Hounds of Love, check that out. That's out next week as well. Don't forget all of these films are next week, oh, not next this week. week, not this week. We just have many films to talk about. Yeah, these all come out on the twenty eighth. So yeah, yeah. Well, uh, John Master is not going to be directing Toy Story four. No, I heard this. What's that Which about? Which is a bit of a shake up because uh, he obviously did the first two. Um, kind of it's it's his other big thing obviously other than the Cars films which he he didn't do Cars 3 as well did he so I I feel like because of his commitment of being like the big boss he now he is now isn't he 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 now just doesn't direct films doesn't change the way he dresses though does it love them Hawaiian shirts he really does love those that that man has an exhibitionist sense of shirts that even I can't possibly match they're amazing they are they're bright and colourful and cartoony and I love him for it god bless yeah he's such a character in his own right but uh, no it's a guy called uh, Josh Cooley who is not part of the Pixar brain trust not one of like oh so he's 
is, uh, and, and, and he's ones. a new graduate, isn't he? Yeah, he's still in house. He uh, yeah. directed uh, Riley's first dates, which ah, is the Inside Out short. For sure, yeah. yeah. And I feel like he was a co on something else. Well, this is how they all seem to start, isn't it? They all start as now, you, yeah. you start as like a lower level animator. You you do work your way up through Pixar. You start as like an intern, yeah. become an animator, well, and then. Just, yeah. It used to be that it was always Brad Bird or Andrew Statton or... Yeah. yeah. Well, they seem to be moving away from that nicely now, which I think is yeah. a good thing. I, I mean, I'm looking forward to Coco um, for one of the main reasons that it is Lee Unkrich. Well, yeah. Who did Toy Story 3. No, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it has intriguing appeal, Coco. I mean, I wonder about how close it is to Book of Love. I'm sure it can't be very good. They're very close, sorry, to Book of Love. No, I mean... It's it's similar in just the like every every western will be similar yeah. that kind of thing and the makers of Book of Life have welcomed it not in like yeah, a competition element but just being like it's another film bringing like this culture so that is an amazing thing and no we're no it's excited true. for it so I have a big fan yeah. of so um, before we move on because we've got two more new slots to film we've got two reviews and two more new slots cool so let me talk about the wall yeah which is the new Doug Lyman movie. And if you ever want to pique my interest, just say the words, there's a new Doug Lyman movie. Yeah. I'm usually the first guy there. And he has been signing on to loads of films and then leaving them just about as quickly. Yeah, so seeing him actually finish one is, is a good thing. That's actually becoming a rarity. Yeah. So this one is not Gambit, and it's not Justice League Dark. <laughs> no, it's this not. This is a film with uh, John Cena. Jo- John Cena and Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Oh. And this is basically a three-hand story. This takes place... This, this is uh, two soldiers. One's a sniper, one's a spotter. They are dispatched to uh, to a stretch of desert to investigate... stretch of the Iraqi desert to investigate investigate suspicious pipeline and uh, they turn up they find a lot of bodies um one of them is injured and the other is then forced to hide behind can you guess what the clever title refers to a gate a gate exactly yeah it's a no it's it's a small trellis that's why the movie is called The Small Trellis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's put one next to it. Exactly. Like a little, yeah. little path going down. Exactly. Well. So, uh, yeah, so the, the surviving soldier is made to hide behind a small crumbling wall. Uh, low, injured himself, low on ammunition, uh, low on proficient skill, and at the same time being taunted by a sniper through one of their own radios. We have a clip of things kicking off. Sounds not right. What? Talk to me, man. Talk to me. What's going on down here? Eyes. They are hit shots, man. You tell where they came from. You know what? Get the hell out of there, bro. Hey, eyes. Just check that the... Oh! So John Cena, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, and a bullet. So, right, this is something that could very easily have been, you know, like a schlocky kind of 90-minute, you see it on a streaming service, never really think anything of it. You know, all these stars have done these kind of films. Like Samuel Jackson's got a million of them to his name. You know, the cheap action thriller. Tom Hardy's done a few, strangely. You know, the, the cheap action thriller they all do. This is elevated ever so slightly by, first of all, great casting. Uh, John Cena and Aaron Taylor Johnson worked very, very well. Uh, the guy they got playing Juba, the sniper, quite sharply, sharply chosen as well. Um, but a lot of the 
success of it falls to Doug Lyman and basically his his choice of edits, um, his his clever camera work. There's a lot of stylistic uh, decision making that basically make this the success that it is. Otherwise, really, you are talking about a pretty standard episode of I don't know, the Unit or something like that. Mm could be very televisual if it weren't for the filmmaking caliber that Doug Lyman really brings to it um, I liked it very much it reminded me at times of did you have you seen that Army Hammer one uh, mine it's no. quite quite a recent it's direct no, to DVD that. in this country I think it came direct to DVD here it's our Army Hammer stands on accidentally stands on landmine in the desert and has to stay there Ah, oh, that sounds cool. He stays there for, I think it's 56 hours or something until they can get rescued to him, and he has to fend off attacks and things. And this has a... You, you look like you're really intrigued by that. Yeah. Yeah, check that out. It's actually quite enjoyable. <laughs> it's the best thing I've seen Army Hammer in for a while. Um, <clears throat> but uh, this has something of a, a sort of tonal similarity to it. I did really enjoy it. Um, definitely check it out. I mean, I think it's going to wind up... This is something that's going to streaming platforms very quickly, I think. But uh, it's a Doug Lyman movie. It's a deservedly brilliant Doug Lyman movie in that way that Doug Lyman keeps churning out now. When did Doug Lyman become an action director? Because didn't he used to do comedies? Uh, he did, and he kind of segued, obviously, into the Bourne films. Yeah. Did he do one or two? The first one. Just did the first one. Did he write one as well? No, no, I think he only... He uh, was director. Uh, director the first one. And then I think it was that segue into it by doing uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Ah, of course, yeah. And obviously Edge of Tomorrow as well, which is great. Oh, I love Edge of Tomorrow. It's so good, and mm. I can't wait for the sequel to it. Well, he's done loads of just good action films. He is really good, though, Doug Lyman, yeah. I'm a big fan. No. He's been a producer on the Bourne films as well. Ah, that's probably it. I think that's what I'm thinking about. Well, it's 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 your time. It's your time. Jumper, Give me some news. Jumper as well. Oh, of course he did that, yeah. I didn't know that. That's amazing. That makes me love him even more. Okay. I mean, obviously, Go. He did Go. Oh, I love Go. I'm a big fan of Go. And, and Swingers as well. He did the pilot episode of the OC. I did know that, believe it or not. That's amazing. Uh, because that series is also produced by McGee. It is. Yes. Um, I too, but it's, it was just uh, Schwartz. Just, uh, yeah, Josh, Josh yeah. Schwartz. I like to think that. Yeah. But yes, I remember Doug Lyman did direct the pilot there, so. He did. But, uh, ah, oh. So, news time, go. Cool. More stuff from Pixar. No. Uh, yeah, Brad Bird has said that uh, The Incredibles 2, which is coming out next summer. Next summer? Yeah. Okay, that's quicker than I thought. I know. Yeah. I feel it's just come around in no time at okay. all. Okay. It's going to focus mainly uh, on Elastigirl. Which I think is very smart. That really is actually yes. Yeah, make it more. Mm, not, takes, obviously, the shift was on Mister on Mister Incredible last time. Yes, so it's going to focus more on Elastigirl because I think there's there's more to say about it, really about where she you could do about her origin and I all we were, kinds of stuff. We were told that once about the Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer it was going to be all about Sue, and yeah. then she got really nothing but some awful contacts to work with. Yeah, well, we're also told we're going to get Galactus in that film as well. We didn't. We got a big cloud. Yeah, yeah, true. Big, true. big old space cloud. <laughs> big old space cloud. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, well, have we got any more films? To talk about? We have. We've got we to talk about one got final one. Yeah. We're talking about 47 metres down. Oh, is this the shark one? This is the shark. Can I just tell you something not film related, but shark related and also great? Okay. Uh, Michael Phelps. Okay. Uh, decorated Olympian. 
an mm-hmm. American hero. Pot smoker, I believe. So oh, almost so, so to- so totally a hero. You can be an Olympian and a pot smoker hero. Yeah, not all heroes wear capes. Uh, wear capes. Wear capes. Or well, they wear crepes. That's for sure. <laughs> I would. I would wear. I would wear a, all the crepes. I would wear a crepe cape. I'd be smoking pot and cape wearing crepes. crepes. That's yeah. totally what you do. Yeah. Oh, pancake man. <laughs> this is another superhero. Oh wow. Anyway, what a tangent. Uh, no, he has announced that he is going to race a shark. That's amazing. Yeah, for uh, Shark Week. Which is Hang on, was he thing. high when he pitched this? I think someone We've all been him. high and pitched racing a shark. someone approached him, but yeah, we want to know if he is faster than a shark. <laughs> so, I take it they're going to be kept in separate tanks or something. We've not announced how we're going to do it. We said that we're not going to race in... Like in lanes, <laughs> so I I'm, say. I'm assuming that they're going to like put some kind of like a tracker on the shark, have the shark go what in then... a different like location. That's boring. Maybe not a different location, but like set the shark off like the similar path. Time how long it takes him to do it, and then set Michael Phelps up. So well, it's not racing a shark, up. really. That's in a technically sense. racing it. But... Equaling a shark, not racing. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna try to beat that shark. No, I'm sure he will. But yeah. uh, look, you, you ask me to do these things when I'm high, and I'll agree. Like I'll race a shark. Oh, sure. you race a shark, yeah. yeah, in the same tank. <laughs> See you. I'll wins. climb on its back and ride it to the finish line. <laughs> Right. Okay. So forty-seven. Well, that, that doesn't happen in forty-seven meters. It does not happen in forty-seven meters down. Right, Shame. So, <laughs> forty-seven meters down uh, sees Mandy Moore and Claire Holt as a pair of sisters, one of whom is dealing with a recent breakup and has got the sister to fill in uh, on, on the you know for the boyfriend's spot on a, a, a pre-booked holiday. So they've gone on holiday and uh, they they you know they're partying with the local boys and and having a bit of a holiday fling as you do. And the guys tell them, Hey, you know what you should do tomorrow? Come down, meet our mate. He's got a boat service and he does these things he sticks you in a cage dunks you can see the sharks it's awesome yeah give it a try and the whole crux is that Mandy Moore's a bit of a, a cowardly type and not really the adventurous sort and kind of he's a bit trepid you know sort of trepidatious about doing it but then decides you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna muster up the, the gumption I'm gonna give this a go no sooner do the pair get in the tank than the cable snap snaps and uh well do you know how can you guess how far down they fall um, forty-eight meters down. Oh, that's a, that's a really good guess. That I guess. Thank you. I was, it was close. Wasn't it? I was going to round you up, if I'm honest. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's forty-seven point nine actually. But yeah, uh, forty-seven meters down. Uh, by which point they are stuck in a broken cage and sharks are coming for them. Oh, and also the air's running out. Cue the clip. I'm so scared. We're gonna die down here. We're I don't want to die down here. We're not gonna die down here. <laughs> It's okay, they're gonna come and get us. Bring me your air. Um, um, it says 80 bar. I don't know what that means. At this depth, that means we have about 20 minutes tops before we run out. What about you? Kate! 30 bar. Oh my god. I'm gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. You're gonna run out of air. So here's the prob the big problem uh with uh, with with forty seven meters down. Uh, for one thing it comes less than a year after the release of the shallows. Um, which I like the shallows. Ah, the shallow shallows very much. Um here's the most ironic statement you're gonna hear all day. Um the shallows had more depth. Hello. Right. Um, the Shallow also had character development, and that managed character development despite the fact that it was one character alone 
on a buoy. Well, there's one character and an amazing seagull. And an amazing seagull. Great seagull. Was it Steven Seagull? Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, the problem with this, really, is you've got two characters and no dimensionality or character depth whatsoever. Um, it, it constantly flounders. I mean, for one thing, it's got a massive sort of plot contrivance uh, that you can see coming a mile off in advance. You kind of... It gets pitched to you in one of those almost Chekhov gun, Chekhov's gun dialogue moments early on. And you start thinking, well, please tell me they're not going to do anything that ridiculous later on because I'll probably tune out when they do. And then they do. And you're like, oh, okay. And I should mention this this little Chekhov's gun bit of dialogue comes by way of Matthew Modine, who plays the boat's captain. And he's not really got anything to do. Now, well, no one in this film well, really has anything to do. This, this last... Al- Algernon. <laughs> yeah. But let's be honest. This, this film is basically two weeks in a Mexican swimming pool with Mandy Moore and another actress. And frankly... I expect better from Johan Roberts, the director of The Other Side of the Door, uh, because I've seen him do better. I saw him do better in The Other Side of the Door. I interviewed him for that movie, and I was a big fan of his work. Oh, you sound personally affronted by this. I am personally affronted because I was personally invested in seeing what he did next, and he's done this. Let you down. He really let me down. And, wow. I mean, it's it's a film that... First of all, it's one of the worst lit movies of the year. It's one of those movies that subscribes to the, the ideal of it's sat in darkness, so everything will be lit by a 40-watt blue light bulb, you know, 30 feet away. It's that kind of aesthetic, you know, where all you can see is a faint hint of blue, but this is meant to be set in darkness, to which you just sit and think, just show it day for light or the equivalent, or at least brighten this image up. And you come away just thinking, I'm getting a headache trying to decipher this image. It's like watching one of those really awful camcorded pirate films you used to get in the 80s and 90s. You know, you remember that? It's kind of like that. But this looks like that in, in, you know, requisite high definition. Mandy Moore's given absolutely nothing to do here. This is, this is basically, oh, let me flail my limbs and, and breathe really deeply underwater mm. for two weeks in a Mexican swimming pool. And you sort of think, for all the plaudits this chick's getting for uh, This Is Us, it seems like that credibility is really not amounting to an awful lot. She's good in that. She's very good in that. I've seen episodes. She does seem very, very good in that. But ultimately, you come away and just think, Really? You couldn't have found a bimbo to use for this? For the two weeks in the Mexican swim? You had to waste Mandy Moore on this? Mandy Moore's got far more likability than this film. It's frankly a waste of time. It has no substance. It has no suspense. It has no artistic credibility, no horror chops whatsoever, no real scares, no gumption, no gall. And frankly, you come away just thinking, that was an hour and a half. I've really just spent bored squinting. And frankly, I'd rather have spent that time underwater. Or sticking to the shallows, so to speak. Both literally and figuratively. But, yeah, just watch The Shallows again. Just genuinely yeah, watch good. The Shallows. Watch Enjoyed one it. actress great, and a great seagull. seagull. Great seagull. Watch one actress. Oh, watch Mrs. Reynolds and a seagull out-act and Mandy Moore and another human being. Oof. Harsh words. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I got, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, speaking of Ryan Reynolds, the first picture of uh, Blind Al was yesterday. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. So, she's she's still blind. She's still blind. They're not uh, curing that one. Yeah, she's going to be called Still Blind Al. <laughs> still Blind Al. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, we're done with news for the week then. Done with everything. Done with everything. Done with life. We got Fortnite off now, man. We good. We have Fortnite yeah. off. Oh. Come back, refreshed, recharged. And talk about the Emoji Movie. Regenerated. Yeah. Talk about the Emoji Movie. Yeah, yeah. As, as one does. 
Tej. Tej is going to be in there. Tej is going to be in there. Do you yeah. think his emoji movie? Do you think his emoji character still has the the weird facial hair, the sort of inverted facial hair? He it does. doesn't, but I, I think they really missed a trick. They did, that. didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Oh well. On which note, here it is. Your moment of cage. One day I caught a cab and uh, <clears throat> the driver said to me, "Today you're my first customer, and maybe my last." I got off the seaside. The fisherman said, "Today I didn't catch a thing. This summer's not going to be a good season." On the way home, a young woman called out to me and she said, "Nobody wants to date me. Again, I'm going to bed alone again. Everyone's having really bad luck, but I'm having good luck." <laughs> Sorry.